Welcome to Deeply Disturbing Things. I'm Naomi. And I'm Macy. And we're two anxious counselors shining a light on dark places. Join us. Do you like that? I did. That what? was that was. Remember touching. I said that at the cemetery? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of stuck with me. It was nice. I like your bear claw. Thanks. Wait, what? Your hair clip. Oh, thanks. I was like, I, I said thanks before I had any idea what you were No, and then you look nervous. You're like, what have I agreed to? Yeah, no, and then I was <laughs> genuinely concerned because I think of a bear claw as a donut. Oh. And I was like, I haven't had any donuts. <laughs> I wanted the compliment, and then I panicked because I don't know where the donut is. Yeah, no, I saw the panic in your eyes. <laughs> Can't surprise me like that. We're drinking our birthday wine, freak Ooh. show wine. Yes. We did a past episode a long time ago mm-hmm. on freak good. shows. Yes. And you have a book. I do. I have a book. A birthday book. A birthday book. So I got a book from Mi Padre um, about serial killer trivia. And this is by Michelle Kaminsky. And I wanted to do a couple little quiz questions, see if you know. Okay. And if you don't know, that's okay. But this topic um, is about Albert fish who we did an episode on yes that was your topic what was it albert fishes monkey and peewees monkeys yeah and peewees which unfortunately i think had to do with dismembered child bits yeah yep okay so what nickname you can guess along okay fans at home what nickname was serial killer albert fish given at the orphanage where he grew up oh did it have to do with his last name fish no like stinky fish or floppy fish no okay that's all i've got (laughs) i'm gonna give a moment for those at home but don't google because that's cheating all right pause if you haven't found the answer if you really want to think about it if not here we go here is the answer children at the orphanage called him ham and eggs Interesting. So partly to avoid that, he chose to go by the name of his deceased sibling, Albert, rather than use his name, Hamilton. Oh. Yes. Ham and eggs. Hamilton. I can see that. Old ham. Ham yes. and eggs. Did you have a mean nickname when you were little? Um, It was often just making fun of my last name because it rhymed with dead. Oh. So it'd be Macy, Macy's dead. Ha ha ha. You're so funny. You're so funny. And I hate you so much. <laughs> um, I Let's, think that's all I'm going to do. Just that one. Okay. Yeah. All right. There's your little Quizlet. And just a quick check in. Okay. I, I, my neighbor's house caught on fire. <laughs> oh, you sent me a photo. Yeah. Was and, everybody okay? In the video. Everyone got out okay. Um, and it's, I woke up to this loud bang, like that shook my house loud. Mm. And I I felt like the train had gone off the tracks or something. And I shot out of bed and I went out there and the the flames were already as high as the trees. And the like guys out there trying to put it out with a, a hose, not working, obviously. And I was out there for a good 10 minutes before the fire department came in there right down the street. But I found out later on that the guy kept trying to put it out himself before he called. So, oh. so there was a delay. Yeah, Don't lost delay. their whole garage and um, two of their cars. But uh, found out it was from leaving oil 
oiled soaked rags oh, yeah. on a combustible surface. Oil soaked rags will get you every time. And I didn't know that was like a real thing. And my dad was like, if it was in the garage, it was probably that. I was like, what does that even mean? Yeah, don't keep a pile of oil soaked rags. Something about the decomposition process. There's a lot of science behind it. It creates its own heat and then combusts. It, it self combusts. So it needs to be in a, a like a tin can in a sink um that way if it does catch fire it's in, in there i just throw them away and my my dad even said you like hey hey does the same thing hey can self-combust because of what its hey? decompositional processes so i'm terrified now of hay and grease cloth to be honest i've always been terrified of hay oh and and i i'm i'm trying to figure out what the loud bang was because it that I, fires don't explode well on their own Maybe the um, rags were in a metal trash container and that exploded. But like to shake my house and it happened five times over like, and so my Maybe, dad was. Oh, there's probably other flammables nearby. Tanks. Yeah, I heard water heaters explode. So when I was looking it up though, one of the things that popped up in my news feed was the station house fire station house oh, fire? No. literally showed up with the video. And I was like, no, like I stop. Well, traumatizing. You know, me. our phones creep on us all the time. I know. Everything I say shows up in my it's feed. It's like you're looking up fire. You must want this traumatizing video you watched once. That's why when you came up to my door, I was like deep in my feed. and Oh, and I stuck my face in your window in a very frightening manner. No, you scared me because I was so into it. <laughs> I was so distressed because I don't understand why I have hedgehog videos in my feed when I have never once expressed a love of hedgehogs. It's guinea pigs for me, Macy. I, yeah, I feel like you're, someone's trying to yeah. fool me, trying to pull the hedgehog fur over my eyes. Like, I'm not going to notice. If you notice. did that, you'd be blinded. And, like, I'm going to like those <laughs> videos or follow them. And, and I know the difference between a Do hedgehog you? and a guinea pig, what Google. Is it? What is it? Guinea pigs are much cuter, in my opinion. I think hedgehogs are cute. I wouldn't have one as a pet. You know, you're talking a lot about hedgehogs. Your phone is listening to all of it right now. You're going to get more recommendations. Oh, I know where the hedgehogs probably came from. Where? Remember when we were trying to lure Estonia? They love hedgehogs. (gasps) Oh, weird. I didn't. That's odd that you know that. Well, I was trying to lure them in. So I was trying to find anything Estonia that we could do a story on. And you found hedgehogs. It's very crime free. See, like, and it's been, it's (laughs) been over six months, maybe even a year since we did that topic. And I looked up that video. So over a year, I think. I think they're really into hedgehogs in Europe. Did you ever watch the, um, oh my gosh, Jim Henson's um, like mythology series? Mm, mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. a Hans the Hedgehog member. Yeah, yeah. That was a good show. I, I listened really to good. the audiobook too. Have to watch the videos. Mm-hmm. We have a weird buzz in our microphone. Hopefully, y'all can't hear it. Hopefully, it's just torturing us. If you can, well, well, we have to. Yeah, we we're sorry. This. I can't tolerate this past today. No, this is not acceptable. We need a new adapter after this. <laughs> this is not acceptable. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So that's. I just want to check in on that. I had, I was so scared. I because all I've been seeing is like wildfires in California and all, like the Canadian fire. So I'm like, oh my gosh, it's gonna spread, and I'm gonna have to like get out and like. Mm-hmm. I was panicked, but it was at five in the morning. It had rained the day before, so I. But that was right where I went. Was not safe. Whatever you're doing right now is making it worse. Please put the cords down. I was deep I appre- in thought. I appreciate your efforts. All right. 
Uh, you get to go first today. All right, cool. Oh, you made it worse. Oh my gosh, I made it so much worse. So we've been studying ASL, American Sign Language. Right? Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> we did that. <laughs> and I wanted to talk um, beyond ASL. Okay. I want to share the history of two different sign languages. Slightly better. Much better-ish. I want to share about the history of Black American Sign Language hmm. and Plains Indian Sign Language. Ooh. So we're going beyond ASL tonight. Let's do it. Black American Sign Language is a dialect of American Sign Language that developed during segregation. Oh, okay. The differences between BASL, which is Black American Sign Language, and ASL, American Sign Language, um, there's lots of differences, but some of the main ones are in BASL, signers use both hands, mm -hmm. whereas ASL, you use your dominant hand primarily. And with BASL, the space is bigger that you utilize. Mm -hmm. With ASL, the signs are either right in front of the upper torso or right on the face. And there's differences like in individual signs as well. It's been described by deaf black individuals as having a little more salt or as Charmé, who went viral using BASL on TikTok, says BASL has more seasoning than ASL. Nice. A little more Which saucy. I love. I love it. Users of Black ASL are often confronted with the assumption that their language is a lesser version than contemporary ASL. I just don't like the idea in general about lesser versions of... How about, can we just say... Dif different, it's an alternative. It's something else. Well, those kind of judgments come when we have, you know, majority groups that cons are considered the gold standard of or anything. Even just very loud minority groups. I was uh, watching about how a lot of minority groups are actually becoming the majority groups in certain areas. So even like. Yeah, everything shifts. Mm -hmm. Um. But we'll see what happens with actual power if that shifts. Oh, yeah. I think power <laughs> and majority are different things. Money is a different matter altogether. Several scholars say that Black ASL is actually more aligned with traditional early American Sign Language, which was influenced by French Sign Language. Yes, yes. So just a brief, brief history of asl thomas gallaudet and we know the sign to that gallaudet nobody can see us like but we're doing it. Mm -hmm. he helped establish american sign language by incorporating signs that a student brought from their homes and french signs he learned while he was studying abroad with an individual called laurent clerc um, the first American School for the Deaf was founded in Hartford, Connecticut in 1817 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. by Gallaudet and Clerc. That's French. I don't know if you pronounce the last name. Probably Claire. The school only started admitting Black students in 1952. So that is like 140 years later that Black students were segregated. Mm -hmm. And that is why 
there is mm-hmm. Black American Sign Language. I mean, that's a yeah. long time for language to develop. And that's where when in people isolated space. Yeah, and that's where when people talk about like, why can't there just be a universal sign? Well, anytime there's a a separate community of or an isolated community of, they're going to develop their own means of communication. So it's you you can't, you just can't. Yeah, I mean, ASL is the gold standard in the US and Canada, but I just want to shine a light on these other- It is a popular- Legit, viable languages. Robert Bailev, a professor of linguistics at UC Davis, where my sister graduated from, says, here you have a black dialect developed in the most oppressive conditions that somehow in many respects, wound up to be more standard than the white counterpart mm. because it re- retained its ties to the traditional mm-hmm. ASL. Mm-hmm. As white deaf schools in the 1870s and 1880s moved towards oralism, so this is was an educational approach which really degraded signing and punished speaking, like audibly speaking, Mm -hmm. and lip reading as the gold standard. So if students signed at school, they were humiliated and punished, um, made to wear a dunce cap, those kind of things. That's why gold standards are culturally relevant, too. I mean, because they change all the time. And gold is a weak metal, let's be honest. It's very soft. It's very weak. And malleable. Wimpy, even. Gold is wimpy. <laughs> That's why I invest in silver, a very hard, sturdy metal. That looks good on my skin tone because I have no tan at all or warmth. I know. I'm not supposed to wear gold either, Me but either. I still do. I looked that up once and it just says don't. No. Gold don't. I look terrible in yellow colors, except like August when I'm super tan. It's the only month I can wear. I don't yellow. get tan. I get sunburned. So even then, like gold and red don't go together either. Just what does that even make? Like a, a bright orange? A fuchsia. I become a fuchsia. <laughs> Which doesn't look good with gold either, I bet. No. Black signers better retained the standards of American Sign Language and some white deaf sign language structures ended up moving to teach at black deaf schools. Hmm, so here we have the white deaf schools. They are not letting the students sign. And that went along for years and years and years, mm-hmm. generations, you know, really pushing oralism. And at the black schools, you know, unfortunately, nobody cared what they were doing. There wasn't this push like, we need to give them the very best approach, which at that time was oralism. It's like, yeah, let them do what they want. Yeah. So they benefited from being able to sign and from getting the deaf instructors yeah. coming to the schools. Yeah, because a lot of the oralism pushed out a lot of deaf instructors at mm-hmm. that point because they didn't want them to be teaching sign language. They're a bad influence. Yeah, but not. <laughs> the attitude was, we don't care about black kids, said C.O. Lucas, a sociolinguist. Put your glasses on. What are you, <laughs> are you fooling? I can't know. What, what do you mean you can't? I already have my headphones on. You can <laughs> adjust, adjust yourself. This is embarrassing. <laughs> it's fun to watch, I won't lie. 
There we go. It's Why okay. do you like to watch me struggle? I don't know, actually, but it is true. Steel <laughs> Lucas is a professor at Gallaudet U. Said the attitude back then was we don't care about black kids. We don't care whether they get oralism or not. They can do what they want. And so these children actually ended up benefiting. Yeah, screw you. The guy already forgot his name. The white deaf teachers in the classroom. Alexander Graham Bell. Graham Bell. Yes. Um, of telephone. Of telephones. Yes. Was actually super against sign language. Yes. Bad, bad bell. Bad, bad bell. Segregation and inequality and educational approaches led to the development of a different, really rich sign language that is known as BASL or Black American Sign Language. Basil. Basil. I love it. (laughs) When schools were first integrated, Black students had difficulty understanding the white teachers. ASL, like I said, was valued as the prestige language, still is. And this led to Black students feeling less than. Mm -hmm. Carolyn McCaskill, who is now a professor at Gallaudet University, says she felt embarrassed by her signs and initially put them aside and learned the white way of signing. Later, she learned to code switch. And so she was able to use and retain her BASL. Mm. In 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act, which legally ended segregation. However, the U.S. did not desegregate fully until, when do you think? I'm bad at trivia. (laughs) 1978, we still had segregated schools in the South. Yeah, I was going to say it has a... They held on. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like when we looked at the, like, which states still charge for sodomy. Mm, Um, Like, it's always surprising to me which states, like, hold on to those things for so long. It's so political and gross. It's political and gross. Keep your political grossness out of our interesting, deeply disturbing topics. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Black Sign Language is evolving, as all languages do. From a few years after the end of the Civil War, 1969, until 1978, so that's over 100 years of time that for language evolution. So the Civil War ended in 1965, mm-hmm. but the Black Deaf schools didn't open until four years later. Okay. Over time, Black ASL has also incorporated African-American English terms. For example, the Black ASL sign for tight, which comes from Texas, is not the same as the sign for tight that means like, you know, you're wearing a sausage dress. Hmm, Good to know. Different. Yeah, different. You're like, that's tight. Yeah, you could insult someone if it's other than that. So there's different signs. Sausage. Close, well, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, sausage dresses. Yeah, and, I, and it's or the the garb you wear underneath the dress. Oh yeah, those are tight too. Those are, but not tight. That's like. I mean, I guess they can be tight and tight. Yeah. Depending. Yeah. In general, though. It's like the safety wrapper. Like if I pop, you know, let me pop out of this before I pop out of that. <laughs> I've never tried shapewear. I've worn shapewear. Do you love it? 
No. Oh. Who loves shapewear? I don't what know. Do I don't like wearing shapewear. Like when you wear it, um, it would have to be like for if I was if I was going to be like in a friend's wedding photo, I would give them the courtesy of wearing shapewear. Oh, so it's a gift to others. It's a gift. <laughs> it is. A, it's a sacrifice you're a making for others. Gift. Uh, because, well, I mean, it's like I would feel fine and normal, but like it just. It's photo ready, like just so you don't have to trim it out in your post editing. Let me just let me tape that back for you a little. <laughs> let me gather that it up. Let me tuck I, it in. I just ate all the back. food you put out here. Um, so let me put something on that's going to make me just like shove the food back up my esophagus until after dinner or until yeah, after photos. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think I've just taken the path of just avoiding certain colors or certain fits or fabrics in, instead of the shapewear. Sometimes though, like you, like having bigger hips, like I've, I've got a, a booty and hips. And so sometimes shapewear is nice in certain outfits to give you a nice, photo ready bum <laughs> we did an episode called rumpology go check it out it gives you the rumpology rump it, without the horoscope without the readings and the photos yes <laughs> and then you can go home and take it off and feel so relieved and happy it actually doesn't make you feel bad about yourself because when you take it off you're so happy i've finally given up wearing light pink mm. i just I was about to say, are you wearing light pink right now? No, that's like a tan. It's white. It's not white. Oh, it used to be. That's <laughs> <laughs> what happens when I wash all my clothes in one load. Yeah. And I don't separate colors. I don't look good in like a fuchsia pink maroon. Oh, I look good in those colors. I don't. But the light pink, I don't. I just realized that in the last couple of years of looking at photos that we take, I'm like, oh, I have to throw that away immediately. Oh, wait, well, that's remember terrible. when you wore the pink, hat, on the pink hat on the the hilliard outing and i the first thing i said when i saw you was that your head looked like a penis you know, you know but it worked with the shirt and so it, it like even now that's bright pink i like bright pink you can it's like the pale pink i don't like anymore pale. i've had to let it go your hair is kind of pale pink right now well just because it's faded yeah just because no matter how cold of a shower i take it still washes out i found out recently from wearing that green dress to your birthday party that like i actually like how i look in like a dark green dress like and I don't think I've ever worn a, that color before I think you really have to see yourself in a photo mm -hmm. because looking in the Absolutely. mirror you still don't have any true perspective no and I got like a yellow dress and I'm unsure about about mm. that yeah I'll be the judge okay thank you sorry go on go on shapewear I got excited about the thing no, no. I hate most in my drawer black ASL has Unique signs, like I was saying, there are signs for like, I'm down, you know, mm, yeah, no. or you're tripping, you know, phrases like that, which no. aren't a part of ASL. I wish I was cool enough to use that anyways. <laughs> I'm sorry. BASL is described by practitioners as a colorful language, a big language that helps souls connect. Which I really like that because what I like about ASL in general is that, um, or sign language in general, but I know it as ASL from what I've practiced is, is that it is like telling a story and, and like the people who I'm like, that's a good signer. It's when it is like theatrical, it's big. So, I mean, that sounds really exciting. It's very exciting. Like 
let's let's communicate. <laughs> Do it. There may be a misconception that BASL is more informal or less than ASL, which is ironic given that it's more similar to traditional ASL, but these views are changing through education and representation. Yes. Knowledge. Just different, not representation matters. Worse. Particularly on social media, younger Black deaf generations have grown more outspoken about Black ASL. And that is a huge benefit of social media for um, getting more diverse voices out there. And it makes people feel normalized. That might have been ashamed, maybe, of using that sign language. But then you see somebody super cool on TikTok using it. And then you're like, all right, well, I'm cool, too. Yeah. I'm down with that. (laughs) So these uh, younger Black deaf kiddos are proudly claiming BASL as part of their culture and their identity. So it's a very positive thing. Yeah, that's great. Dr. McCaskill says, historically, so much has been taken away from us, and they're finally feeling that this is ours. This is mine. I own something, which I love. Yeah, it's a bit bit of reclaiming that's happening. And being able to have a voice. Yeah, and just show value, inherent value. Or have a hand, I should say. Wait, oh. Uh, (laughs) Voices can be annoying. I know that. Can ASL be involved in racism? Let's, Mm -hmm. Let's explore. Let's. When referring to a white person versus a white shoe or car object the sign changes from the sign used for the white color white yeah so it's a different sign okay a white person is a different sign than white as describing an object okay however the sign used for a black person and the sign used for the color is the same so that's not equal so it'd be like a, okay. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I huh. learned that. It's totally different. Huh. Mm-hmm. And. Um, Don't do for one that you can't do for all. Right. So the sign for white person looks, the hand shape is very similar to the sign for beautiful. Oh, so it does. Yeah. Okay. The mm. sign for black and black person same sign Mm -hmm. has been pointed out as similar to the sign for ugly it's the same finger shape Mm, okay so same finger shape and and i mean specifically denoting color of skin it's not equal yeah yeah so those are some questions that have been raised by some fair yeah that's the best part is that it's okay to raise concerns Right. And maybe, you know, through activism, maybe this can be changed. Yeah. That was BASL, Black American Sign Language. I want to share about another sign language you may not know about. I have to oddly say that I watched a video last week on YouTube that had an American signer and a native sign. Oh my gosh, you didn't know about this. I don't know all about it. No, 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 no. I just I watched a video that said like 
showing the differences. And so I just sat and kind of watched the differences between the two. Um, I know nothing about it. Oh my so gosh. I'll say I know Let nothing about you. it. Okay, go. I was very excited to learn about just, all it of It was this. interesting. I was watching. I love the male, female, like I love that male looks like it has a penis. It's like the finger sticking out down there. Like I don't a, know if boy, I saw that video. A boy. I think you saw a, a boy video. has a penis and there's like a man <laughs> penis. And I'm like, that makes total sense to me. I totally get it. Totally makes sense. And oh, and a woman is like, it's like, like oh yeah, that thing. squirting the breast milk. Yeah, out. I have seen that sign. Right. And then if yeah. it's old, it's like if it's like grandma, it's like squirting and a cane. And it's like, oh, that makes total. Sense. I get it. Total sense. Penis cane. Old person. Old man. Yes. I get it. <laughs> I can get down with this sign language. <laughs> Are you down? I'm so down. <laughs> Before. Black American Sign Language no and ASL. No, we have no friends. This is clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> it blends in with the flowers. Don't worry about it. There was Plains Indian Sign Language, sometimes known as First Nation Sign Language or Hand Talk. There are other indigenous sign languages as well, but I'm going to focus on Plains Indian Sign Language or PISL. Native P Americans. P-I-S-L. P-I-S-L. Pizzle. I love it. So we have Basil and Pizzle. I, it's my, it's and what's so ASL? Asshole? I, <laughs> Damn it. This is making my day. But again, I've already <laughs> spilled wine down myself. So it's not my bar. I have a fairly low bar, but this is exciting. Podcast night is the best Woo! night. Yeah. Native Americans are thought to be the creators of the first sign language with documentation that goes back to at least the first contact between Spanish colonizer, Francisco Vasquez de Coronado and the First Nations people. Well done with that name. Which was in the 1500s. Wow. So at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, that Spanish colonizer noted that indigenous people knew signs so well there was no need for an interpreter between the tribes that's so he good. wrote about it in his journal Aww. his journals trace hand talk back at least to the 1500s however if you look at ancient drawn symbols rock writing they match signs uh, in pisl so it may be even more more, more yeah. long-reaching in the back past we don't know how to talk past, more long-reaching yeah we know how to sign them. i know it. we're signing we're it just signing. fine I wonder we're practicing it him right now through sign language is easier when you've been drinking than talking oh maybe it turns off our annoying part of our brain more research needed right brain activate <laughs> activate and then create <laughs> Don't hesitate. I'm not doing this anymore. I can relate. No, see. <laughs> Hand talk allowed different tribes to communicate with each other regardless of their own spoken language. And what's so cool about PISL or hand talk is it was used by everybody, deaf and hearing people. That's awesome. Everybody knew it. Which is kind of a good idea. In I wish everybody knew ASL. Yes. And Basil and Pistol, all of it. Basil, Pistol, and I gotta say, Assel's pretty good too. Um, (laughs) 
I totally want to quote you out of context. Go on. Okay. Moving ahead. I'll take more of the freak. Moving ahead. More freak show, please. Thank yeah, you. even in more freak show. It was used for commerce. It was used during war. It was used for economics, special ceremonies, storytelling, gaining intelligence. Mm. It was used for hunting. It was used for all sorts of things. Well, and I love the idea of, I think that's something we've gotten away from, the concept of storytelling. And I love that. And I recently I recently got the Calm app and they have uh, story, like sleep stories, sleep stories. Oh, uh, yes. And it totally brings me back to like a childhood place of being read to while you go to bed. No, I love being read to. And like, why don't we, I, that, why is that such an only kid thing? Like, no. let's tell stories. It's fun. I believe It's engaging. That. Let's make some, make some well, shit up. Let's do it. We used to have a, a teammate. R.I.P.T. who is native and she always yes. told us stories. Yeah, she was very, yeah, she always had something ready great. to go. Yeah. I wish. And terrifying sometimes when you're stuck in the woods with her, but I've, know, I've never been stuck in the woods the with her, but I've been hit by her in Derby and I could see how <laughs> she could be terrifying. Um, but no, I get like, as someone who wasn't grown up or didn't grow up in that culture at all, it feels very foreign to me to even like think about uh, how do you tell stories and make like I think that's a very much an art and no I don't it and I don't art. have it but some of these very wonderful smooth voices on the Calm app no we're not sponsored um, yet can pull it off. Re- reach out, DM me. I don't think that's gonna happen. My great aunt used to always tell me stories when I was little. I would always ask her, "Tell me a story. Tell me a story." And I had my favorites. I would just have her tell you have me an eyelash on your nose. the same stories over and over. Oh my gosh. I got it. Thank you. I thought for this whole time I've been watching you, I thought you had a, one of those, like those pimple patches. I love them by the way. Um, I thought you had a pimple patch, but I thought it was so good that I could barely see a line and, a pimple I, and I've been itching to like ask you what, what is the pimple patch? It's magic. Tell me when you get a pimple <laughs> or you feel a pimple coming in, you put it on and it literally like, sucks out the bad and it goes oh, away instantly sucks out the bad pimple poison yes and it's just gone That's it's amazing. magical and i thought you had one that was like clearly invisible but and it I, was just an eyelash it was just i'm sorry to disappoint you i like they say eyelash in two words an eyelash <laughs> i want to emphasize the lash part over the eye part it's an eyelash it's i emphasize the eye <laughs> I, it's different perspectives. Source of origin versus, I mean, well, yeah, I guess I'm going region and you're going source. I'm going straight to the source. <sighs> Sorry. I, do I get a wish for that? I don't know. Well, you already dropped it on the floor, so it's too late. Damn it. I have I to blow it away while probably, you wish. It's probably on your lap. Where am I? I am. Sorry. Hand talk <laughs> was so predominantly used, it influenced the development of ASL. Mm. and does not get recognition for that yeah hand talk has mostly been written out of history when different tribes ran into one another they would shift to sign language to communicate because the different tribes had different languages it was the standard language used at that time just as english is used today at the united nations Mm. 
tens of thousands of people knew Plains Indian Sign Language. It's different from ASL. One difference is there's no finger spelling. Mm -hmm. There are about 4,000 basic words that are put together and combined mm -hmm. to form the vocabulary. Which I could see that when I watched the video that I watched. It was um, where like ASL like had a sign. This was a combination often of, you could see like multiple things created that, especially if it's a more complex concept, instead of having it just a different sign for a complex concept, right. it was a combination of things that made your brain go, those fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cane, penis, old man makes sense. It all goes together. Nipple, cane, old woman makes sense. <laughs> it really does. It really does. PISL shows indigenous ways of thinking about the world. I thought you said you had a sad topic. I'm finding this quite fun. I didn't. Did I say it was sad? Yes. You said, so we both have sad topics today. And I said, you, you ain't never going to know this. But yes, mine's sad. Well, I mean, any kind of time there's social injustice, there's. Oh, okay. Okay. You're, okay. Just a lack of recognition. I mean, we talked about segregation. I, yes, agreed. Anything with Native American history in this country. But is you're shedding light in such a positive way. We're too anxious counselor shining a light on dark places. Oh, my God. The fact that you remember that so well is shocking to me. I remember everything from our day in the cemetery. Two glasses Saturday. of wine. This stain is not coming out of my sweater. I hope you know. No, it just looks like the flowers are barfing. It looks great. It looks like I threw up on myself. <laughs> <laughs> this... This is officially a social sweater now. <laughs> this can't go to work. You know what? Maybe you just have a wine drinking sweater that you always put on and then you don't have to worry about it. On the cold days. Just like a painting smock. I'm going to start building a, drinking a, smock. a podcast night closet. There you go. <laughs> yes. No shapewear allowed. No shapewear. All patterns. I, oh, as I have to say, normally when I wear jeans on this, on this night, I undo the top button because it's social. Is that what we do? It's what people should be allowed to do. Yes. Who who made buttons a thing? Well, every th fabric should be a stretch fabric, in my opinion. Yeah, just make it a little <laughs> bit like stretchy. Yeah, just fine. a little. Just a little. It's like fine. I'm not it's asking not for a lot. I just would rather not have a piece of metal in my stomach when I'm leaning forward to talk into a microphone. No, just just throw a little. Give give us a, a little, little bit. Just in a little there. bit. Just we just need bit. a little bit. We'd also like to be sponsored by Stretchware. We would like to be actually sponsored by anybody. Oh, yeah. Anybody would be cool. Um, well, no, I walked that back. Actually, Not anybody. we're very, yeah. No, we, you, would, we would like to be presented with some choices that we can choose from that align be, with our values. To be fair, we're very picky, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, exactly. Okay. So this is probably why we don't have. Okay. Okay, it's Go all on. it's all, all right. making sense now. That's why we don't have friends either. Actually, if you think about it, if we broaden that concept out, <sighs> we're just picky. We can make it about us. Selective. Selective. Reframe. Positive reframe. But we're not ignoring the fact that some people suck and don't follow through. Real. Or show up. Well, that's fact. That's just fact. That's fact, not feeling. People, like, if you dedicate to something, show up. If you don't dedicate to something, at least let the person know that you still care. And if you don't Three care, gifts. and if you don't care anymore. Or acts of service. Yeah. Especially if the person's tourists. We like things. <laughs> Material things are food or wine. <laughs> Thank you. This PSA announcement is over. For example, with the question, how old are you? 
in PISL, all questions start with the same sign. So there's a question sign. It's kind of like a wiggly f- hand finger. Yeah, like, like so what, who, why, which, yeah. where, it's all the same. It's just kind of catching your brain of like, this is a question. I love that we've been I studying like ASL because this makes sense in my brain. Yeah. Okay, cool. So all questions start with the question. same sign. It's kind of like um, facial expressions in ASL. It's like you always have the eyebrows up or the eyebrows right, squint right, for right. yes, no, or open-ended questions. Yeah, yeah if you're okay. not involving the eye, the eyebrows in ASL, it's not a question. Yeah, look at my eyebrows. I plucked them. They're good. They're for you. <laughs> <laughs> to ask how old you are, one would make that question sign mm-hmm. plus the sign for winter. Mm-hmm. How many winters are you would be the question. That sounds so peaceful. Isn't that nice? Like it's calming. How many winters have I survived? Reminds me of Game of Thrones. How many more winters will I survive? That's what I want to know. When I first moved to this region, I would spend every weekend out at a giant mansion in Hayden Lake. Well, that's nice for you. And they had, well, it, oh, it, it has was... been an abandoned property for many years. So... Wait, did you break into it? No, 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 no. Oh. That's all reason we know each other is that mansion. Excuse me, you and me? Yeah. What? It's a whole reason I'm even in this part of the country. Oh. Because my I, was like, I didn't break my high school boyfriend in California decided to move here in the early 90s, and I followed him up here. And he mm-hmm. decided to move here because his dad bought this giant mansion on Hayden Lake to turn into a B&B. And he moved up here to help with the construction. Okay. And okay. I followed. That's the only reason I'm up here. Wow. I know. Crazy. Interesting. Huh? So this, it was really fun having the run of this super giant haunted mansion out on the lake. And my favorite spot was up on the third floor. It was a big house. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a mansion. It was mm-hmm. legit mansion. There was this little balcony right on the end, and it was so high up, it was on the level that birds circle. And so I would sit out there. No, it was wonderful. I hate this movie, Birds. I would (laughs) sit out there at bird (laughs) circling level. No, they're like little peaceful birds. I would be high as fuck. All birds are little until they swarm. And I had this book of Native American poetry that I would read out there, and it was just so peaceful. And I was just in heaven, and I just loved it. Great. Oh, excuse me. I loved it. It was so wonderful. I'm so happy for you so long ago. And I'm glad I'm, glad, so long I'm ago. glad I met you because of that. And such I guess. a great moment. I, to be fair, I met you because of a car club. But right? I wouldn't even be in this area. I would never have moved from California to freaking almost Idaho. Well, if we're gonna talk about that, but like my dad literally closed his eyes and spun his hand around a map of Washington and plopped it down in the nearest <laughs> big city we moved to so that's that's what you owe my lovely presence to. that's how i chose brown's edition <laughs> oh see i mean it's i've a, never been up here i looked at the map i'm like it's well a valid decision making that kind of seems like the best place to live close unseen. close your eyes point absolutely and then listen to the beatles a lot while you move all of that stuff across the state and Lo- it's fine trust your instincts is what it comes down to yes is that instincts yeah, because it comes from a deep place. Mm, intuition. You're intuition, about. yes. Mm. To show different times of the day, there's a similarity between PISL and ASL. One shows the position of the sun in the sky. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Because up top, 
sun. Yep. Oh, and I saw like so they would have it up, similar down, up, mm-hmm. down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are mm-hmm. similar. So you can see that ASL was influenced yeah, by Native sense. American Sign Language yeah. without acknowledgement, however. Until now. Well, no, other people well, have said this. A, we're not the first to report on this. No, we're rarely the first to report on anything. To be, we're, we just pick up the scraps. But uh, one of the things that... that nom, 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 scraps. In some of my research on just ASL in general over history, one of the things that they tried to do, it went from more like pictures and symbolic storytelling to like we need to get a grammar attached which I think is where things started to veer off of like we need grammar to make it a language and and that's where I think that it ASL kind of formed from was figuring out how to grammarize a grammarize a sign language but this is it is an actual language. It like is I watch actual, lots of videos of people using it and it's sentences. And and I agree with that. And it's structure. But even today, people argue about ASL, but like it's still we ASL is a language because it has grammar, because it has those components of other languages. But that's that's where more like foundational sign struggled because they were trying to use English or French versions of grammar to fit, which doesn't work. Well, PISL it, was definitely not using it, English or French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it has, predated. Well, and just like ASL and just like um, um, both of these versions probably have their own integrated grammar. They just don't align with English speaking people grammar. Oh, no, it's a different the, language. Yes. But, oh. but people don't, not everybody Well, not everybody understands, understands the important things in life. Yes. <laughs> Can we have that on a t-shirt? Yes. Can we make t-shirts for people? <laughs> if you reach out to us, if anyone, anyone reaches out in a comment anywhere and says, I want a t-shirt with anything we say, we'll make it and we'll send it to you. We will. And you can choose the quote. Yeah, by all means, whatever you want. We'll do it. And that shows you're listening. That's how we contest. So here's my theory. I mean, some believe North Indian Sign Language was one of the first contributors to ASL. Here's here's where I'm like putting the pieces together. Okay. The French were over here. Yes. In the olden times, claiming North America in 1534 and ASL has roots in French schools called mm-hmm. it visited. So my theory, which somebody else may have come up with, but I didn't read about it is that when the French were here, they witnessed native American sign and took it back with them and used it in the formation of their schools that Gallaudet visited and then in turn brought back to create the first American science school. Mm. Also, Native American deaf students attended the first U.S. school for the deaf, which opened in 1817. So lots of room for influence here. Yes. Again, not acknowledged. Should be acknowledged. Acknowledge. Yes. Do it. In the late 1800s, the native children were sent to boarding schools and forced to learn and use English only. The students also had to cut their hair and adopt the Western Mm -hmm. way of dressing. This was cultural genocide. I was about to say in this, yeah, I mean, even 
outside of the deaf community this was why everybody it's a future field trip i want to take you mm. to the big um, boarding school down at fort spokane you're gonna kidnap where they also again. found mass graves unfortunately you love collecting grave dirt <laughs> not on your, purpose no, it sticks to me in your shoe my shoes have none i feel like it's an omen no, mine were like picking it up like no, it, it was, was magnetized. It was caked on and it freaked me out because that's I walked the same place as you walked and I had none. No, those you spirits some, wanted to follow me no, home. No, you need some new shoes so you don't carry those spirits home. <laughs> Unless they're good, and then that's okay. No, I don't want I don't even want good spirits. You go <laughs> like all those baby spirits, those are good spirits. I don't want you in my house. Sorry. I don't have my own babies. Well, luckily I'm Asian and I won't wear my shoes in your house. So there you go. Yeah, that's true. I I'm don't saying, wear my shoes in your house. The students would be punished, beaten. They spoke mm -hmm. their language, which also meant sign language. Mm -hmm. So their mm -hmm. spoken language and hand signs. There were both boarding schools for hearing children and schools for the deaf. Deaf native students who knew tribal signs were not allowed to use them and told they needed to use ASL instead in the deaf schools. Which is a whole nother level of discrimination because there's, I mean, with oralism, let alone with, okay, well, now you need to learn ASL. But that even when, um, so my aunt's an interpreter, and when she has students come from Japan, they know Japanese sign language and they have to, they're, I mean, there's no other way they have to learn ASL. Like nobody's learning Japanese sign language for them. I mean, other than her. So it's like this forced language learning, Yeah. Um, which, you know, if you're a foreign exchange student, you might expect that on some level, I guess. But if people are coming into your home, like back in this era and pulling you out of it, it's a whole, a whole different story. It is. These native students were told that ASL was superior to whatever their native sign went was so the this is you know it's the same thing repeating throughout history these same themes history repeats itself but, and if it starts repeating itself just but stop we could learn from it yeah. but we don't well some do and some don't true for native individuals many asl signs are rooted in cultural experiences that are not theirs so here's another example of ASL's disconnect to mm -hmm. certain cultures. For example, the girl sign, it's like this, right? Girl. It comes from the strings of a sunbonnet. Oh. And the sign for a boy is based on the, the bill oh, of the bill a cap. cap. Yeah, like a baseball cap. And the, the, these signs do not apply to what Native Americans were wearing at the time those signs were developed. Mm -hmm. So... Native American signers feel a complete disconnect and lack of visibility when using these signs. Sometimes. One, one thing I liked when I saw the, the video I watched. So children in ASL is kind of like patting the top of their heads. Yeah. Children in native sign, it, it, it's like bringing them Growing, up. Bringing them yeah. Up. So it's yeah. like calm up and like raising them. So it was just interesting seeing the difference. Yeah. 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 Pat, pat, pat. And there are different, you know, parenting styles with mm -hmm, mm -hmm. white people and natives. And, and even with that, I feel like there's a judgment place, like right. one's a gold standard and one isn't. I'm against the word gold standard. You know, it's like the golden rule. Sometimes the silver rule is good at like, 
Or the bronze roll. Yeah. What's that? That's third place. Oh, well. Or <laughs> the silver rule is don't harm others or do any, like, you can do what you want, but don't say that someone else is doing less. Like, don't go out of your way to diminish or it's minimize do unto others else. as you would have them do unto you. It's the, it's well, the golden rule. That's the golden rule. But, like, maybe it's not about what you want. Maybe it's just don't be a dick to other people, which is the silver rule. And so I think that's a little bit better. Like, let people do their own thing. Your way isn't the best way. No, you always have to go back and forth between intention and impact. Always back and forth, back and forth. Reevaluate. Always evaluate. Always. And reevaluate. And then rest because that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> the sign for white person mm-hmm. in Plains Indian Sign Language is similar to the sign for black in ASL with a single finger drawn across the forehead. Oh. I thought that was very interesting. Is that kind of like an FU back? I I don't I don't know. Well, no, because PISL is more ancient. So is there than ASL. But I mean this was just something I noticed. Mm-hmm. I didn't read any commentary, but I, I just wanted to point it out as an observation. Okay. I don't know enough other than to make funny comments. I won't. (laughs) (laughs) There is a unique sign for each tribe. This is a very big and important difference between ASL and plain Indian Mm, sign language. I like that. Yeah. Because with ASL, you have to fingerspell the name of each freaking tribe. Yeah. Rather than yeah. in PISL, they each have a beautiful, unique name for each Yeah, because even like if if I were to, like, my name is Macy, I'm, you know, I grew up in Snohomish, you know, I have to spell all that out right. without having a distinct, like, I'd love to have like a fa. A fa. I know, we all want a fa. <laughs> There's a video that was filmed in 1930 called the Council on the Preservation of PISL. And it was filmed featuring representatives of a dozen tribes from the Plains, Plateau and Basin cultural areas across North America during a meeting for the preservation of their sign language. Mm. US General Hugh Scott, who knew the language, so kudos. Yes, snaps presided as translator and filmed the tribal representation demonstrating their sign language why why don't you learn about these i'm so upset like i watched it it's so freaking cool these things in school i'm sorry i feel like i've been robbed you've been robbed everything we've learned about in this podcast which to be fair some of it like age appropriate wise isn't you know serial killers things fine 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 but there are many things I feel like I should have learned about that I don't know. And I feel like I've been robbed because it changes your perception on the world. Exactly. It gives you a whole different outlook. My children are going to have uninterrupted access to deeply disturbing things. This is an educational for better or and for entertaining worse. podcast suitable for some children. I mean, if you are willing to sign a consent form, sure. <laughs> Screen it first. If not, I mean, honestly, we're not. I wouldn't let my niece listen to this, to be fair. How old is your niece? Like 11 or... No, that's too young. 12. 11. I'd 12. say, you know, you got to be in the teen years. Oh my gosh, my nephew is going to prom and that freaks me out. He's like, I remember my prom that I didn't go to. So, I mean, I did, but... Oh. Did you go? You know my 
prom story. I can't it's remember. It's a tragedy. In this moment, you left. We got chased out. Oh, that's right. <laughs> chased out. Because of your whoever Because you my boyfriend stole yeah. a bottle of liquor from the bar and put it in his coat and then got caught and we got chased out. It's terrifying. We didn't get to do any of the activities. <laughs> it was like right at the beginning. Yeah. And I had done my hair and everything. I probably didn't even do my hair. I didn't. This was my first high school dance I ever was going to go to. That's why I was so like distraught. I barely went to the mixers. So like that was one dance that I wanted to go to just because I remember my, one of my stepmom, one of my, one of my stepmoms in my past didn't go. And I, she complained all the time. She'd be like, I never went to my prom. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, I better go to that thing that she obviously was resentful about her whole life. That was the boyfriend that I followed up here. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, I kind of liked the bad boys. Can we do a like a bit. where is he now episode? No, let's not, please. Okay. <laughs> I know where he is now. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Buffalo Bill Cody of the Buffalo Bill show knew PISL. And okay. used it to talk with Iron Tail, chief of the Lakota, who was one of his the actors in his show and one of his best friends. And I watched a video of them talking together too, That's which was cool. super cool. Oh yeah. Man. Now there are only a few dozen people who know PISL fluently. Mm-hmm. However, there is movement right now to preserve the language and teach it in schools. Mm-hmm. And Native American people are beginning to use a mix of PISL and ASL. So both of those stories of BA, Black American Sign Language and Plains Indian Sign Language. Castle, pistol, and asshole. A line in the end of that. They all line in the end. It's coming together with some acceptance. And I love that. So if you want to learn more, there's a documentary called Signing Black in America that I watched. It's really good. Mm. And um, there's a book. Please send that to me so I can actually watch it. Yeah. The Hidden Treasure of Black ASL by Carolyn McCaskill, who's the professor of Black Studies at Gallaudet U. And watch that 1930 video, The Council of the Preservation of PISL. Cool. Which are rad. Can I make some comments? Yeah. Not necessarily about your topic. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are you so the about? dsm submitted their or oh, have published the, TR. the new tr i mean i want to i want to give a little credit that they actually included topics about racial discrimination is there and, complex trauma diagnosis no there's not complex trauma so but the thing is there's only one new diagnosis in the book it's a tr version not a dsm-6 only one new diagnosis which is prolonged to grief that's the only new thing mm. Um, aside from that, everything else, what they've got, and the book is like double the size of the DSM-5. It's $143 on Amazon. I had it paid for by the university. So, <laughs> so I have it. And I've been teaching my my new, I ha- happened to just line up perfectly with teaching this DSM or uh, diagnosis class, right? As the new book came out. So one of the things that they've gone through every single section and they, they've integrated how certain diagnoses have been impacted by race and discrimination. So stuff we've known, honestly, we've known as practitioners and through research, like, for example, folks who've been diagnosed with um, Black Americans who've been diagnosed with schizophrenia, 
way of represent so they actually share that in there and state that in they there say, they have that in the current one not in de- not in this detail so it's throughout every single page they have gone through um but in the gender dysphoria i just want to mention that they changed um from i gender identity or i uh, sorry what was it um, gender dysphoria yeah 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 but the actual how they describe it is now experienced gender versus before it was identified gender mm. um so they've changed language they've changed from um like the i shouldn't be talking about this now after so much wine um uh the they've changed to gender affirming surgeries versus sex Real crossing oh. surgery medical surgery um, to gender so affirming. New language. So there's some new language that has gone into it, which I think has been long overdue. So I am happy to see that in there. Um, they also changed from uh, natal male female to assigned male female at birth. So I am excited to see that because again, I'm teaching new counselors as they come into the field and I can actually, it's been hard. It's hard to teach them and say, yeah, but now I can actually say, this is what this says and it aligns um mm. so i've been happy with the integration so far i'll have to look and see what i think yeah i haven't looked at it yet that's my, all they really here's do. my big problem though with the dsm i mean i still have problems with it's DSM. it's continually trying to adjust the same thing yes where i think in some ways it just needs to be started over <laughs> because it's still yeah. a basis of this western white culture that we're like oh like maybe we can fix this word or this that but if the actual groups represented were the ones writing it from the ground up it would look totally different i i agree with that i i do just want to give a little credence because i watched some of the videos so they did have um it was like over 200 um experts come in and work on this in different subgroups um, and with diverse populations coming in and reading line by line and and adjusting. But I agree that starting from scratch would create totally a totally different. It would be, yes, it'd be a completely different there document. There would no, be no um But they're not going to do that. But they're not going to do that. Someone else needs to do that, I think, <laughs> and start over. But they're not going to do that. But for what I, I'm happy to see that because that is what the majority of people use for diagnosis and for insurance billing. And it it's what we've already know. It's what people in the field already know, like years ago. I mean, they're behind. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. So to me, it's a I just I just wanted to say that because I've been going through it. That's all sweet. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for your next Oh, we're like doing another trivia. Okay, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. What do you call a male black widow? So like a black widow is when the mm. wife kills her husband, right? So what do you call a male black widow when the husband kills the wife? A widower? No. <laughs> I don't know. So a man who is murdered, wait, do, 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 figure it out. And if you haven't, you know, pause. I don't like spiders. Here we go. A man who has murdered more than one of his parts. So this is what caught me. A man who who has murdered more than one of his partners. Mm. So you can murder one and not get this this label. It's like like the DSM, but not. It's called a blue beard. Oh. So it's derived from the blue black facial hair of 
Gillies de Rey, a French knight and lord who fought alongside Joan of Arc. De Rey killed hundreds of young boys in 15th century France. So he didn't kill any of his wives, but the hue beard, the hue of his beard is for forever connected with serial killers because he is believed to have been the inspiration for the actual Bluebeard story. Why was this beard blue? Did he eat too much silver? I have no idea. Is that a thing? Yeah. Really? So in Bluebeard, the story, the beautiful wives of a powerful yet hideous nobleman kept disappearing. Married once again, he leaves the country, but not before giving his new young wife the keys to his house with the strict instructions that she's not to enter a closed off chamber. Mm -hmm. Probably before Bluebeard's um, carriage was even out of the driveway, the wife goes into the forbidden room and finds it full of blood with bodies of his former wives hanging on the walls. She drops the keys in horror, and that's how she then becomes the next. Mm. So that's Bluebeard. I've never heard of that. Versus Black Widow. I have never heard of that. Me neither. I like, I'm woke now. Well, how come we've never heard of it, though? Maybe it's not actually a common term. Well, I don't think it's common. It's just... We don't have a, because I think women get pathologized for murdering their husbands and men don't get pathologized for murdering their wives. Get pathologized, you're a bluebeard. Well, why does widow have to be a gendered term is my question. I mean, that's a different <laughs> level. I don't even have time for this. It's my topic time. Are you ready? Everybody can be black widows if you want to. If, if you want to, you can do whatever you want. Honestly, that's, I mean, there, there's consequences. Oh. Um, there's consequences, but you, things happen. If you identify as a black widow, that works for me. Okay, don't look at my computer. Get away. I can't see it. Get away. I'm just looking at your sushi poppet. Do you like phone. it? <laughs> it? Makes me hungry for sushi. I want sushi too. Okay, so I'm going to talk about Robin Williams. It's time. Oh, it's been. Remember, so we each claimed the topic. You were going to do Robin Williams, and, and you were going to do, do Anthony, Anthony Bourdain. Bourdain. I have not found the time yet found it's, that it's time not not found the time not a, like i'm too busy i have i just haven't been ready i have like an emotional i think many people have an emotional connection with robin williams and honestly reading a lot of this like i got tearful it was there's sad things in here but i feel like there's i learned things in this that are helpful to know and i want to share with the great okay. greater being okay so did you say greater of, being yes is that me yes <laughs> You yes. am I a greater being, or are you talking vastly? I meant vastly, but you can be it <laughs> if you'd like. Um, okay, like. so first, I just want to say my reaction when I heard this, I was in shock, I didn't believe it. Like, this is someone who my dad introduced me to, it was someone who represented humor and happiness 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 and just like unfiltered which i really appreciate in people like being unfiltered and being accepted for that yeah and i was shocked when it happened i didn't believe it and i a lot of news came up about that and i heard about parkinson's kind of later on um and then i haven't heard anything so that's been my experience i'm not sure what you've heard um, I watched a couple of things with his daughter after mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. spoke out, but 
Yeah. You know, not like a ton of details. So I've done some, I've done a dive and I'm going to share some information, a specific letter that his wife wrote um, to future researchers in the medical Mm -hmm. field about what he experienced. Were they still married at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So first of all, I think the first thing that gets attention is that he killed himself. And then people automatically think that depression was the leading cause. Because that aligns. Right. But that's not the whole story. So he would have been 70 as of, I think, this last year. Um, And he was actually diagnosed at the time while he was alive with Parkinson's disease, which isn't actually what he had. And this Mm -hmm. is the piece that I feel like when it happened, news tells you all the things they know at the time. And then new news comes up and you don't hear the actual updates. And I didn't. Um, some of you may have, but no, you have I did to not. search out information. People, you can't wait for it to be spoon fed. It you. has to be. Don't be a baby. <laughs> I love I you're me now, except for I was in yours in your topic. And now you're me now in my topic. <laughs> I'm second. You get what you get. Okay. I get what I get. I've, I've had beverage. Okay. Get what you get and don't throw a fit. So I love Robin Williams for so many reasons. And he, he brought attention to a really rare and life-changing disease called Louis body dementia. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't know about Louis body dementia for him until post-mortem until they could do brain scans. So this is a non-movement symptom of depression and anxiety that can accompany a neurodegenerative disease. So it often accompanies something like Parkinson's. So what do we know about this? Um, It's a type of dementia. It is the second most common neurodegenerative dementia behind Alzheimer's. And the chief of Parkinson's disease and movement disorders at Shirley Ryan Ability Lab Um, stated that it's thought to affect 1.4 million people in the U.S., but it's not widely recognized. With greater education awareness, more people can identify symptoms Mm. ahead of time. There is no cure for this, however. I've not heard of it. I hadn't heard of it until I researched this either, and I was actually very, very curious, and it kind of led to some doors that I, I did learn more. So, Lewy body dementia is a term used for both Parkinson's disease, dementia, and Lewy body dementia. They have some things in common, but progression is a little bit different. So many people with Parkinson's can experience cognitive changes, but it's important to know that not everyone with Parkinson's has that. They don't have dementia necessarily. More severe cognitive changes that happen and can affect someone's functioning um, can then be identified as dementia. But Not all Parkinson's has that. Um, Typically, physical symptoms precede dementia in Parkinson's. So they get physical motor impact, um, which he did have tremors in his Mm -hmm. hand, um, especially early on. He would have those and they got worse. But what isn't talked about as often is the cognitive piece of what's happening. So before Robin Williams was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia, it was reported that he had experienced paranoia, confusion, insomnia, constipation, so a lot of BI um, issues, and the lack of the ability to smell. And and so these early symptoms that he had 
um, were not related to brain function and they couldn't relate it to Parkinson's directly. So he kept being, had all these tests, 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 Mm -hmm. everything. You don't have this. You don't have this. You don't have this. You don't have this, which is reassuring on some level, but on the other, you're not getting answers. Right. People want answers. Yeah. Like he's still sick. Something's happening. And, and the unknown is terrifying. Yes. So again, they didn't diagnose this till post-mortem when they could actually look at his brain. So he sought out specialists. He oops, sorry, had different tons of different treatment and none of them gave him the answers that he was looking for. And just to talk quickly about um, depression and suicide. So people with Parkinson's are at higher risk for suicide Uh, According to a study in 2020, depression is a common symptom for both Parkinson's disease and LBD, which is the uh, Lewis bodies. um, Lewis bodies? What's the other word? It's Lewy body dementia. Lewy body dementia. Okay. Yes. So Dr. Goldman urges patients to fight to find their diagnosis because it can be so hard when you present symptoms they just do a rule out process and don't just be okay with ruling things out. Keep going until you find the thing. Um, this still doesn't have a cure, but having something could be helpful because it's very hopeless feeling when your doctors aren't giving you anything that mm, is yeah. telling you an answer. So we do know that they're at a higher risk for suicide and people living with Parkinson's disease benefit from a comprehensive team um, and, and having a really involved kind of collaborative approach for tackling that. So that's that. Now I'm going to just briefly mention um, his son. So his son shared about some of his interactions with his dad um, towards the, towards the end of what was happening. So he said his son, Zach, shared that, um, so he died in 2014. He was 63 years old and he was at that time diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, but the autopsy showed Louis body's disease. Zach said he saw frustration when his father was diagnosed with Parkinson's. So he was really frustrated by that diagnosis. Here's a picture of him. I like to see pictures. It makes me happy. Yeah. So when he was going through this, he just felt very frustrated because the symptoms that they were talking about didn't encompass all that he was experiencing. Right. It's like the easy answer. Yeah. He was losing focus and there were issues with how he felt. And from a neurological perspective, he didn't feel great. And Parkinson's didn't really address that. Like, why was his thinking so foggy and not focused and um, these other neurological pieces. He had increased anxiety, increased depression. He, him and his wife both said that they, he had previous depression and all of a sudden his depression and anxiety increased a lot. Um, his son said it made him feel uncomfortable. He said, at least from my lens, I found what I found was someone who was really having challenges performing his craft and that was irritating for him. When you're a performer, it goes beyond beyond pride in what you're performing. It's your livelihood. Right. So now he's not remembering things. He's not clear headed for things that he used to be able to recall. Mm-hmm. And like he could do whole scripts without messing up. Right. So it's, it's your whole empire has been built on his your identity. mind. It's, it's, it's who he is. Yeah. yeah. So 
that his, so his son had seen changes in how he was struggling with living with the changes without a clear diagnosis. And his son said, I wanted to be there for him on a daily basis. I really wanted because it can be really isolating, even if you're family. Mm-hmm. Like, so that linked me to an article that his wife wrote. Mm-hmm. And this is really interesting. It's called The Terrorist Inside My Husband's Brain. And she wrote it inside of a medical journal. So other people doing research could read it and continue to expand. And then you can like know what to look for. Exactly. And just not go to the Parkinson's diagnosis because it's what you know. Yes. And to share what some of those symptoms were like. So I just want to share some of what she wrote. Um, Her article is available online um, for free. She says, I'm writing to share a story with you, specifically for you. My hope is that it will help you understand your patients along with their spouses and caregivers a little more. And as for the research you do, perhaps this will add a few more faces behind why you do what you do. I'm sure there are are already many. So this is a tragic personal story and she wanted people to know about Robin Williams' specific interactions with this disease. Okay, so although not alone, his case was extreme until the coroner's report, which she had to wait three months after he died to get. Mm, did, she, did she learn what LBD looked like? And when they said, like, are you surprised? She just said no. And it wasn't because she knew it. She didn't know anything about LBD. She just knew something else was going yeah, on. There was something. Mm-hmm. All four of the doctors she met with after reviewed his records and indicated he was one of the worst pathologies they had ever seen of this disease. He had about 40% loss of dopamine neurons and had almost no neurons that were free of Lewy bodies throughout his entire brain and brainstem. Mm. So from what we know about depression, it requires dopamine makes you feel it's a feel-good chemical in your brain you need your neurotransmitters yo so i think a lot of his story without this additional context leans towards he was depressed and he killed himself Mm -hmm. and he had parkinson's and he was depressed because he had parkinson's and he made a choice however from reading this his physical disease impacted his mental health enough where it created depression that yes and maybe impacted decision making exactly exactly so i feel like there's a difference there that some mainstream media has kind of clung to versus what the reality is robin is and always will be a larger than life spirit she says who inside the body of a normal man in a normal like he's a normal man he has a normal brain but he has this larger than life personality but he's one in six who was affected with his brain disease. One in six. That's a lot. Yeah. And I have never heard of it before. I know. That's crazy. She said that not only did she lose her husband to LBD, she lost her best friend. Robin and her um, had a safe harboring con- unconditional love for over seven years. So there's no treatment you said, right? Yeah. There's no cure. So nothing can be done at all. So, like, what happens with people? So, the way that she frames it in this, and I'll probably hit on it a little bit, is that 
she feels that he would have perished anyways to this disease. She views that he perished to this disease, that his suicide was due to the disease um, increasing his feelings of hopelessness. And that regardless, this disease would have taken him. So she said, as often as they had said to each other, they were each other's anchor mojo, <laughs> that magical elixir of feeling. And they used to like be a bedrock for each other um, prior to when these symptoms started getting really worse. She, they discussed joys, triumphs. But when the LBD began to like just sending tons of symptoms, it was really hard because he had been going to doctors and she started even thinking that maybe he was like, is this hypochondria? Cause like he's reporting all these things and yeah. people and the doctors are like, no, you don't have this. No, you don't have that. No, you don't have that. And he's reporting feeling this way. And it's like, okay, is this real? Like, is right. this so actually You can't happening? really tell until autopsy when you look at the brain. Well, and what they're saying is that like, by the time it's diagnosed, even so, if they do diagnose before postmortem, it's so far advanced that it's been there for a long time. But how do you diagnose it? I and honestly, I'm not a doctor. I'll, I'm like not a medical doctor, so I'm not sure because they tested. I sat and looked through all the list of tests they did. They've done so many tests on him, and it's just negative, 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 negative. So I don't know what they would do to test for this specifically. Yeah, other, I want to know. Other than they found a postmortem. So I'm wondering I'm, if it's like CTE where you can only say somebody had it after death, which is yeah, which, not helpful during life. No, exactly. And maybe, maybe when they're speaking to like, by the time you know about it, they could be talking about Parkinson's in general, which may be the larger umbrella. So he'd been struggling with symptoms that seemed unrelated, constipation, urinary difficulties, heartburn, sleeplessness, sleeplessness, insomnia, poor sense of smell. That's all neuro stress. though. Right. But like when you go to a doctor, those all are like very different things. And I can see some of them being like, well, why don't you just eat more and he, fiber? And, and he started with a slight well, tremor. Why don't you have some garlic and some honey yeah. in the morning? And he had just a slight tremor in his left hand. That's kind of how it started. Mm. So they attributed it to a previous shoulder injury initially. How, how, yep. how does that yep. connect to loss of sense of smell? I think they're like dismissing those symptoms because they it's can't being explain psychosomatic it. or something. Yeah. So he, on a particular weekend, he had a gut discomfort. He's, uh, she had been by her husband's side for many years already. She knew that what would come would be fear and anxiety from this because she knows him well. And what followed was out of character for him. His fear and anxiety skyrocketed to a point that she found alarming. She wondered privately, is he hypochondriac? Not until after he left, would she discover that he had this fear and anxiety was actually a symptom of LBD, of having these big spikes of anxiety and panic attacks. Mm -hmm. He was tested for diverticulitis and the results, I don't even know what that is, were negative. Um, he had many tests that were negative like this. And that's just so frustrating. So by wintertime in this era, problems and with paranoia, he started having delusions that were looping, insomnia, memory, high cortisol levels. Um, 
his body was all over the place. And they even started sleeping in separate beds because her sleep was being impacted by his sleep. And he's just all over the place. She was getting accustomed to having to kind of review at the end of the day, like how the day went, you know, so things started to change in their interactions. So those concerns that used to have a normal range of tenure to her were beginning to lodge at high frequency. So things like concentration, focus became worse and worse over time. She, she said that she wished she could have known why he was struggling, that it was not weakness in his heart, spirit, or character. He really, um, Oh, and that's that stigma right there. Yes, he tore that's himself That's why people are down. like afraid to get help or yes. feel ashamed because it's conceptualized as weakness. So later on when they went through the LBD symptoms, he had every single symptom minus the self-reported hallucinations, which his doctors felt he did have. He just didn't disclose, mm-hmm. which again goes back to stigma yeah. around that. So, and he definitely had fear about being viewed as weak. Um, his whole thing is about being strong and funny and being there for everybody else. <laughs> and so admitting things like that is very hard. In early of April that year, he had a panic attack. He was in Vancouver filming Night at the Museum 3. Mm. His doctor recommended an antipsychotic medication to help with the anxiety. And it did seem to help. Um, but then it made things really worse, really fast. And that's all she said. I don't know quite the details in that, but enough to make them change the med quickly. Not until after he had passed, did she discover that antipsychotic medications often make things worse for people Mm. who have LBD and Robin had a high sensitivity to medications and his reactions were sometimes unpredictable, which again is a common theme with people who have LBD. So during the filming of this movie, Robin had trouble remembering even one line of his scenes, which is not typical for him. Three years prior, he played in a full five-month season of the Broadway production Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo. He would do two shows a day with hundreds of lines, no mistakes. So he started having loss of memory, inability to control his anxiety. That would be so scary. And it was, yeah, it was devastating. Like loss of memory in and of itself, Mm -hmm. which just seems like it would be so terrifying. She remembered a time when she was at a photo shoot at um, a place called Phoenix Lake. And he called her frequently just with paranoia and insecurities about how he viewed himself and how other people were viewing him. Mm. She said for the first time, her own reasoning had no effect on her husband. Typically, she able, would be able to calm him mm-hmm. and like rationalize, and now it didn't matter. She said her husband was trapped in the twisted architecture of his neurons, and no matter how hard she tried, she couldn't pull him out. Mm. In early May of that year, the movie wrapped up. He came back, and... Um, he seemed fine. And what she has learned about LBD sense is that they can have periods where things look normal and then have episodes where everything just kind of breaks down. She said, I will never know the true depth of his suffering, nor just how hard he was fighting. But from where I stood, I saw the bravest man in the world playing the hardest role of his life. I know. And I could totally see that from him, which made me sad, like him trying to be brave for other people. And not let on. 
she said that Robin was losing his mind and he was aware of it. Can you imagine the pain he felt as he experienced himself just disintegrating? Yeah, no, I get it. It's terrifying. And he didn't even know the name of it. Yeah. She said he felt powerless and frozen and she felt like she was just standing in this kind of dark place of not knowing how to help. He kept saying, quote, I just want to reboot my brain. Doctor appointments, testing, psychiatry kept in this kind of perpetual moments, blood tests, doctor's appointments, kind of getting into that cycle of trying to figure out how to make him healthy. They wanted to be happy about negative test results, but they both, it's just like, there's still something wrong. Right. So negative just means we didn't find the answer. Then on May 28th that year, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. We had an answer. She swelled with hope, but Robin wasn't buying it. They went to the neurologist's office to see what this meant. And he immediately started asking questions about, do I have Alzheimer's dementia? Am I schizophrenic? So he did not feel like this was the full answer. He may have spent some time on WebMD. <laughs> right, right. Like he knew, he knew that like, from what Parkinson's is, it didn't fit. For it him. didn't fit. Yeah. Um, so Robin continued doing all of these things, therapy, physical therapy, bike riding, working out. He had a trainer. Um, he was sober. He used all his skills. He like really was trying. And this is what I hate about when people are like, oh, are you practicing self-care? <laughs> I mean, can I just... Like, I hate off. the term self-care. I hate it. <laughs> no, it's it's so insulting to people. It is really insulting because people are doing the best they can. Like our yeah. natural self is happy. Our natural self is balanced. There's just things outside of our control that impact. That, that impact. So if you reduce those stressors, you return to balance. Right. Yoga doesn't cure your solutions yeah. to all your problems. Going riding your bike makes you feel good until you get home again. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have GI issues, as I have had once in my life, then riding a bike isn't even great. It may make it worse. <laughs> so they went to specialists. They did all these things. He was clean and sober. Um, at this point, she said, Robin is getting weary. The Parkinson mask was like his voice was getting weak when she talked to him. His left hand tremor was now continuous. He had mm. a slow shuffling gait. This was impacting him physically. He hated that he could not find the words he wanted in conversation. Mm -hmm. He would thrash at night, have terrible insomnia. And at times he'd find himself stuck in a frozen stance, unable to even move. And he'd be frustrated when he mm -hmm. came out of it. He was having trouble with visual and spatial abilities and judging distance and depth. His loss of basic reasoning also added to confusion. She said it was really hard because at times... It would be like he was him. He was there. Mm -hmm. He was present. And then five minutes later, he'd be standing in the middle of a room, confused and dazed and not know what's mm -hmm. happening. So throughout this battle that he's had, um, nearly all of the 40 plus symptoms of LBD he had other than hallucinations. But again, that odds are he did have it is what the doctor said. He just didn't disclose. I think of little black dress when you say LBD. Oh yeah. I didn't think about that. This is different. <laughs> this is different. This is a medical condition. So 
she said that sleeping deficits were impacting both of them. They had to sleep in separate beds at that point, separate rooms, I even think, at, um, for a period of time. As the second week in August approached, it seemed that his delusions were calming down. Uh, he had a medication switch, so she was hopeful that it was getting better. She said that she remembered going to bed customary way, saying, good night, my love. Mm. And he said, good night, my love. His words still echo through her heart today. And then Monday, August 11th, he was gone. <sighs> Makes me so sad. So he so, like just stuck out in the middle of the night. So she said that after he left, time never really functioned the same for her again. Even the most mundane things impacted her, which grief and loss. Yeah. Absolutely. So she really has spent her time after his death researching LBD once she got the diagnosis mm -hmm. three months later. Um, wasn't surprised by it and has been advocating ever since about people getting the right diagnosis. Again, she says that she doesn't think it would change anything. Well, yeah, if there's no treatment. There's no treatment. She said it would take him eventually one way or another. And it I feel like it, what it would help with is peace of mind of having an answer and, of and like, okay, she, this is what's going on. And she did address that and said that it would give her peace of mind. She didn't think it would give him peace of mind mm -hmm. regardless. And which I get. And I think knowing this full story helps lead away. Cause I've read, I read a bunch of articles before I found her letter that talked about, you know, the contagion theory and like over romanticizing suicide and 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 that is a thing um but this was his mental health his mental and physical health deteriorated to a point where his medical condition influenced his mm -hmm. suicidal ideation right. this isn't just the world is bad and i'm killing myself it's different and I think that it's important to recognize this. And I'm upset that I didn't even like, again, it didn't get national news. I didn't see it on the top of my headline when they had his correct diagnosis. Well, it doesn't fit into the narrative that media wants to spin. Yeah. Like, oh, a tortured artist. Okay. Like right. he didn't kill himself because he was a tortured artist. Let's yeah. be real. And let's be like fair to the person. He was physically dying from the inside and yeah. and he was tortured enough like his he couldn't feel happy anymore because of his physical illness and he made a decision not in good good awareness mm -hmm. that is what happened and it shouldn't be glorified it's it's very sad it is sad so the tail end of what i would want to share is just I want to I want to speak just a little bit about how hard these actors have it mm -hmm. because or just anyone honestly celebrity wise because it came up a lot in my research about um like about not reporting how you're actually feeling like not sharing all your symptoms or trying to hide some of your symptoms and he had many of it that he hid as well trying to not be weak which I think is common in men and even more common in men and celebrity. So here we go. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe, do you know he, who he is? Yeah, Harry Potter. Actor. Yeah. So I've gathered a couple quotes from common people that you may know, some you may not, um, about what celebrity is really like. And 
although I think that his death definitely had medical influence, I think it impacted how he perceived he could present Mm -hmm. to the public, which may have impacted things. So Daniel Radcliffe said that because we idolize these people and we think they have the perfect lives and they have nothing to complain about. All right. Daniel Radcliffe found it excruciating to deal with being harassed by photographers. He said, as a kid, the thing that sucked, the thing that that did, you know, bury its way in there and really in a pleasant way was getting booed. If you'd be going to an event and the professional autograph hunters, you know, people would boo at you. Um, there are people that like shout at children. <laughs> if you hear people booing and shouting stuff at you, it sucked. He said he remembered being very disheartened as a child. The quickest way to forget about the fact that you're being watched was to get very drunk, he said. He said about trying to like enjoy nights out. You get very drunk, you become aware, oh, people are watching me. So I should probably drink more to ignore it more. Mm -hmm. Part of the thing is the expectation that you should just be delighted all the time. You have a great job. You're wealthy. You do have a, you don't have a right to not be excited all the time. He said, I think that's the pressure as well. You suddenly start to feel, man, if I'm just feeling some human emotion of sadness, does this mean I'm doing something wrong? Am I not being good at being famous? Now, Amanda Seafried, I recognize her face. I don't recognize her name in all honesty. Um, I don't, do you know who she is? Yeah, I couldn't, like, name her works. Okay, okay. Yeah, I know who she is. So, she's been acting for over two decades. She says that she still struggles struggles with pressures of being in the spotlight. She says it feels like life or death for her. And she, uh, in some of her stories, she shared about having panic attacks um, before or during live shows, Mm -hmm. um, which I can only imagine. I hate being... Like, okay, I'm in front of everybody now. Like, that's really stressful. There's a lot of darkness to fame. I mean, everybody wants it, but sometimes when you're there, I think especially if you're thrust into it quickly, it it can be really devastating. So Billie Eilish says someone with that. She's gotten a lot of shit. Right, right. About things she should not get shit about. Right. She says someone was asking if like, how much of it's miserable and how much of it's not. She said it's 50-50. <laughs> half of it is absolutely horrible and half is unbelievably amazing, completely priceless. So she says it's okay to do the trash because of the half that's really good. What I'm hearing from that is like... She's gotten so much body shaming. That is horrible. Right. Completely out Inappropriate. Of line. Agreed. Idris Elba, do you know who he oh, is? Yeah. Okay, so... Elba confessed to Loaded Magazine in 2014 that his famous face made it hard to trust potential love interests. He said, sometimes you're not sure what's real or not, especially when it comes to relationships. If you're adored by millions, sometimes even on your own front doorstep, you can become paranoid and constantly question, like, who is she? Um, you know, what? what is she out <laughs> for, really? And I could see that being, like, hard to trust people. I think that's why some celebs like end up keep talking. I have to go to the bathroom. Dating like the server at the Waffle House because that doesn't know who they are. Because it, I think it, I imagine that it could be difficult to have trust in the genuineness of somebody being into you. You know, you you want to believe. I mean, you have to believe 
that they actually like you, but it can be difficult to sort out if they already know you as a famous person. Like, how do you really sort that out? Your image from who you really are. It's tricky. I think uh, Nick Cage married somebody that he met on the cash. And I think they're still married. I'm not sure. Interesting Nick Cage side note. I believe when he was with Taya Leone, he bought her as a gift, a giant big boy statue. I All right. Hi, I missed that part. <laughs> That's okay. It's not of import. Oh, it's not much better. All right. Your teeth flooding. So great. As they say. Oh, okay. So Kylie Jenner. Uh. Jenner shared that she constantly, I like this made me feel for Kylie. She said she constantly feels anxious about unflattering things showing up in media. She says she wakes up every morning with the worst anxiety. She mm. said, I don't know why I have like a problem. I wake up every morning, six, seven, eight, because I think there's a bad story about me. I don't, she has to check. I don't have any empathy for Kylie <laughs> She says my worst time. That's fine. My worst fear is waking up and finding something bad about me on the internet, which I think is very shallow and vain, but I... No, it's real. Built upon. Just, I have not seen any Kylie Jenner stories out there that garner my um, empathy. But again, that is the downside of being a celeb as it's hard to be seen as a human. It's all what's put out there. And that's why specifically, like I went through and found statements that just are humanizing. Like I could imagine regardless of who you are, if you're on the internet every day, like I've seen, we've talked about like things about Kylie Jenner that I could imagine the paranoia that would start to come from that and the anxiety. Jennifer Lawrence, you know, Jennifer Lawrence. Of course. Okay. She said, no one ever asked me out. I'm lonely every Saturday night. Oh, guys are so mean to me. I know where it's coming from. I know they're trying to establish dominance, but it hurts my feelings. I'm just a girl who wants you to be nice to me. I'm straight as an arrow. I feel like I need to meet a guy with all due respect who's been living in Baghdad for five years who has no idea who I am. Isn't she not married as a kid? Maybe. I think she is. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but that's like until you find the right one in Hollywood. Like I've heard that pretty across the board is that dating is really hard. I think it's hard for everybody. Hard for, I mean, I, I, I would say it's even harder in my opinion, because there's like this preconceived notion about who you are in general, based on things that are put out publicly, but outside of you. Yeah. You got to sort through, I think yeah. an extra layer of bullshit, but I think celeb gives you a leg up is that you have more people lining up at the door, but you don't want them necessarily. Like, like she's saying, like, yeah, but do you really want the, f like, to filter through the fandom of, like, you have to. obsessive people? Like, I think that's part of it. I would rather have someone who's never met me who gets to know me. And that's what I was talking about while you are peeing. Oh, were you? Yeah. Okay. Right. That some celebs do end up dating people mm -hmm. that, like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. weren't, like, fans yeah. or didn't really have an awareness mm -hmm. of who they were. Like, I talked about Nick Cage. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. George Clooney. 
So he said that being a celebrity isn't a walk in the park. He said the big house on a hill is isolating. There's no other way to say it. There's restrictions to this kind of fame. He said, I haven't walked in Central Park for 15 years. And I'd like to, you know. I think he's dead. George Clooney is not Oh, dead? I was thinking of George Carlin. Oh, my God. I was like, what? <laughs> I did not miss that. And George I? Clooney did not, like, hook up with somebody publicly, at least, for a long, long yeah, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And I could see that, like, just doing the normal, th- having to, like, oh, my gosh, we totally had this moment when you did our Hilliard recording. We had people specifically, like, following us around, following us around like, what are you doing? Did you find this? And, like, it, it felt good, but, oh, my gosh, if that was every day, anything I or did. Or if it was more than, like, two people. Or taking pictures of me, I thought I'd be great. So, okay, and then Daniel Craig. Best male butt in Hollywood. <laughs> he said, I get people who photograph me. Photograph. Wow. Photograph. Wow. Who take- no, I like that. Okay. While he's having dinner. <laughs> he says, I want to get violent, but I can't. They think it's their right to take a photo of me. And I find that incredibly intrusive, but every phone has a camera on it and we can't stop it. So right. how could I get into a pub, have a few pints of Guinness, get a bit rowdy, sing some songs when I know someone's going to film me and put it on the internet. Yeah, exactly. Like that sucks. It does suck, but I mean, it's a trade-off, I feel. Like, I can't say, oh, celebrities are all bad, because there's definitely a lot of freaking perks well, to think, being rich. And I think that's the, the where I, like, the Billie Eilish thing, I like 50-50. Like, 50 is hell. 50 is fabulous. I do think sometimes there's crossing a line. Yes. Like, if you're going out to a public place, mm-hmm. you can't expect that you're not going to get attention. But if paparazzi are, like, getting on your private property or like, but like that would sending suck. a drone over your backyard or like chasing you around like but it would suck like, definitely so, so, okay but, line, but, but let's let's just think about i think that's a big systems issue in general because of what publicity and media and social media want because like you and i have a podcast right if all of a I sudden so right <laughs> if all of a sudden we became famous overnight where i don't know we're being invited to the globes for whatever and people are following like we wouldn't like that it would ruin my quality of life i wouldn't like that no i think you have you have to ease into it but many of these people who are you know child actors going into or who started film school and then like i don't think they they go into it for their passion and their interest in an art yeah most of them people that adapt well to fame there's a few themes I keep hearing over and over. And one is you have to have people around you that keep you grounded, that keep you from feeling like you're like more than human. You know, I think that's Mm -hmm. something that's key is you have to stay grounded. And from what I've read from some of these is it can be hard to get those people in your life at that point. You can't believe your shit don't stink because it do. Yeah. So Megan Fox. Your your shit stink. Thanks for that dribble of wine. It's fine. I had plenty. Uh, Megan Fox said, I don't think people understand. They all think we should shut the fuck up and stop complaining because you live in a big house or you drive a Bentley. So your life must be great. What people don't realize is that fame, whatever your worst experience in high school, when you were being bullied by those 10 kids in high school, fame is that, but on a global scale, we're being bullied by millions of people constantly. Yeah. I always feel bad when I see like celebs that are, are intentionally getting torn into photographed um mm-hmm. 
looking absolutely the worst possible and that's probably photoshopped also to incense mm-hmm. enhance like imperfections and then it's like right on the front of a magazine where you're checking out for groceries right. like right. i can't even imagine what that would be yeah like. like if it was my face on there like like looking all if someone peeked through here and took a photo of us, it takes us 30 pictures to get one good one. One good one. Can you one. imagine a, and a not paparazzi? even good, one acceptable one. Right, right. So no, it's hard. But, but that would tear me down. Like I get I get the sense. I mean I don't think it fames for everybody. No, I don't think so either, but I don't necessarily think that every famous person like loves that either. They may love their craft and it's a curse of the craft. Like if you're good right. at if you you're good at it, the good you at the have bad. to deal with it yeah. and that can include suffering. Obviously we're talking from outside perspective. We're out, obviously we we're are not, not famous nor but I admired just by all. Read um that Doja Cat is going to quit music because of bad comments she's gotten recently. I can't even read too much. Them. I make Naomi. I am like there. I saw something. Please take care of it. <laughs> I can't look at it because it'll impact me my whole day. It'll make me feel bad about myself all day long. So yeah. I can even imagine this level. So here, here's one thing about that. Like if we were actually famous, famous, we'd have people that would filter that for us but like there's only so much filter i mean again you go to the news market you see in front of your face like right but i've heard a lot of famous people that like are handling it well or like it's a good fit for them i I want to reframe that if you can keep a bubble yeah that just say that they really they work hard to either limit their their exposure to the negative Mm -hmm. or they've just really learned how to um not let it get under their skin yeah i think being 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 popular in a sense isn't necessarily a bad thing i think being famous can be a bad thing like there's like having fans you can manage that but fame itself can have a lot of downsides for sure there can be plus sides too trust me i don't have bentley's um i would like to try it out and decide for myself Okay, I can see that's what you're thinking about during this whole time. I'm like, like I'm not gonna like, you know, to, roll it out at this point. But to me, like read it, like I'll read it here from Selena Gomez, and it's like here's these people that we view as these happy like people. Um no, I know Selena Gomez has yes. had a lot of so struggles. She, she said tours are pretty out. Yeah, she's been about mental health struggles. She said tours are a really lonely place for me. She added that before she ended up checking into an actual facility in Tennessee for mental health. She said, my self-esteem was shot. She was depressed. She was anxious. She started having panic attacks before going on stage or right before leaving stage. Basically, I felt it wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough, wasn't capable. I felt I wasn't giving my fans anything and they could see it, which I think was a complete distortion. What I wanted to say is that life is stressful and I get the desire to escape it, but I wasn't figuring out my own stuff. So I felt I had no wisdom to share. So maybe everybody out there knew what I was thinking, that this is a waste of time. So I love that because that there's something useful there in that statement. Absolutely. Which can benefit everybody. Mm -hmm. Of even just like acknowledging that it's okay to struggle, it's okay to ask yeah, for help. Exactly, it's normalizing the the situation. I do think fame is inhumanly stressful. <laughs> That's 
that's what I will say. Because uh, most people, most famous people deal with it with drugs, let's be real. And then that ends in a different way. That's well, that takes either. us back to a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Sid Vicious, exactly. like just thrust into the spotlight, an image made for him that maybe didn't fit who he was as mm-hmm. a person at the time anyway. And, you know, just was just wasted all the time. And it's like what Radcliffe was saying. It's like, okay, then I cope with it with drinking because it's the only thing that makes me not think about it. But then you're filming it all. Like, (laughs) there's no escape. So Justin Bieber, obviously a very public person. The Biebs. He did discuss his struggles in interviews. And he specifically stated, I'm struggling just to get through the day. You know, you get lonely when you're on the road. People see the glam, the amazing stuff, but they don't know the other side. This life can rip you apart. I watched the Amy Winehouse documentary on the plane and I had tears in my eyes because I could see what the media was doing to her, how they were treating her. People thought it was funny to poke at her when she was at rock bottom to keep pushing her down until she had no more of herself. And that's what they were trying to do to me. Bieber went on to the detail that the isolation of camping out in hotel rooms to avoid fame and photographers. He said, I feel isolated. You're in hotel rooms. There's fans all around, paparazzi following you around everywhere. And it gets intense. When you can't go anywhere, do anything alone, you get depressed. He said, I I would not wish this on anyone. He seems to be in a pretty good place right now. Right now, yeah. But this, again, I think speaks to the fact that people have mental health issues at any like you can well, have human you like, can have stuff happen at various points in your life i think that's what you always things. have to come back to yeah is we're all humans everybody's a human and the last one i'm going to share um and that's really my point in sharing this is that like all these people are human we all have downs um and to assume that a celebrity isn't going to be impacted by that is a little naive right they're humans they're not superhuman no so they're just famous and rich yeah and to be fair i think that because it was like with with robin williams in particular because he didn't publicly want to talk about what was happening with his health which makes sense you have a right to privacy people didn't know or understand fully what well and i think for comedians there's mm-hmm. extra added pressure absolutely because their whole thing has been founded on making people laugh and being happy and sometimes at their own expense and that makes it even harder i think mm-hmm. to be vulnerable yeah because yeah. that's not making people laugh mm-hmm. right so you, you you may hold that back So the last one I have, Lady Gaga said, as soon as I go out into the world, I belong in a way to everyone else. She said, it's legal to follow me, to stalk me at the beach. I can't call the police or ask anyone to leave. And I took a long, hard look at the property line and said, well, you know, if I can't be free out there, I'm going to be free, pointing at her heart to her heart. She got teary-eyed talking about the way that being recognized by everyone has transformed her interpersonal interaction. She said, I miss people. I miss, you know, just going out anywhere and meeting a random person and saying hi and having a conversation about life. I love people. I love Lady Gaga. So I, I like At that. At least kind what of, I know about her. Yeah. And I like that kind of ending of like, I think what I get from the, like, if I had to do a theme across this, is there's some loneliness there of connection to real people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you get an entourage 
but are is it just an echo chamber you know yeah. like how are you going to really trust and then when you look out are you getting barrages of harassment and yeah. like high i mean it's just it's no, it's a rough. lot to deal with it so still i'd like to sample it right i say I, I, I just want to dabble a little dab i mean i'm i don't honestly i feel like i would i feel like with if i didn't have to experience it i would like it and i don't know if that's possible. i'm not afraid of it i'm not afraid of it i'm afraid though. of it i mean i'm happy with my life now if for some reason i got infamous for whatever reason <laughs> i would be happy with that i feel like it's like it's cool to a point yeah. and then i'm totally the person i already do it i'm like you're in charge of social media because I don't want to read the bad stuff. Like it ruins my day and it, it's often not helpful. But there's good stuff too. I know. And I, love and, that. and I like that you can send me the good stuff so I can feel good about that. But I don't want to read someone who just had a spare minute in their day to troll me. It's mostly good. It is mostly good. I, yeah, I get that. Like the world. But it's I will, mostly good. But I'll tell you that one for, and maybe that's for people who are maybe a little more anxious like I will hold on to that one negative far longer than I'll hold on to the positive. No, that's everybody. Right. If so that's why it takes five goods to outweigh a bad. So send us your good. Send us your goods. <laughs> now we've had it. We've actually had a lot of good lately. So it's, it's been good, but um, I've enjoyed learning about Robin Williams stuff. What's your favorite Robin Williams, like movie or show or whatever. Um, I honestly, oh gosh, okay, let me think here. Um, I'm going to have to say Mrs. Doubtfire. I know that his earlier works that are kind of more no, well-known for his humor stuff, but that one specifically as a child raised by a bachelor dad, that made me... He has a great Scottish accent. Absolutely. It actually made me feel connected with like my life and it was so personal and funny, but like I felt it. And that one for me, I think just personally had a connection of, um, you know, like dads can fight hard too for their kids. And I think especially at that time in the like nineties, that wasn't the common voice. It was women tended to get custody of their kids and men were often viewed as the less. Mm -hmm. So you could relate. As the lesser. So I enjoyed being able to see that other alternative That's script. Beautiful. Yeah. Nanu, nanu. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> How about you? How about you? Um, I did watch Mark and Mindy when I was a little kid. Yep. I may have had rainbow suspenders. See, I never watched that as a kid. So I feel like I, Before, I kind of missed that as a child. Yeah, with like the little finger pointing. Mm -hmm. I think there's a finger pointy pin that was on the <laughs> suspenders. Uh, loved that show. Like some of his old stand up back when he did Coke was fucking fire. <laughs> I'm not saying cause he's and good, effect. He's but a good stand-up comedian, yeah. It yeah. was fire. Like, absolute fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, he's... He's, he's a legend. Uh, iconic. Mm -hmm. Iconic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one day we'll get to Anthony Bourdain. It took me a long time to do this. Um, this, I've... I knew this was the topic I wanted to do at some point, but it's, like, emotional, and... 
Yeah. I finally feel like in a safe enough place to review it and like have Aww. it be okay. That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. His hairy knuckles. I love his hairy knuckles. <laughs> Very hairy. Yes. If you didn't check out our last podcast, it's a special episode where we do a deeply disturbing field trip to Hilliard, Washington, and explored lots of like haunted or just disturbing history spots up there. It's a part one and part two. So make sure you get them both. You have to watch both. They were combined. They we can upload them all at once. So make sure you watch them both. We had to split them. We did not want to. They were one whole unit. This was an upload issue. We tell ghost stories. We do some like sleuthing. Yeah, we sleuthed the F out of that. It was great. We sleuthed it up. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time. <laughs> um, gosh. Do I have to go first on that? I oh, okay. Um I'm thinking. Okay. Um <laughs> I don't have anything good. Uh, okay. I gotta keep thinking. I had something earlier and I actually you? tucked it away. I'm like, oh, that'll be good until next time. And now I tucked it away too blame. far. Um, yeah, I tucked it too far. I tucked it way down in my pocket. <laughs> um, okay, let's start over. Until next time. Um, understand the price of fame. Mm. I don't know if that was anything, but I said it. Oh, that, was, that was great. I might come up with something else after you say something. I don't even know what I'm going to say. I'm so lost. What advice do I want to give to people? Hmm. I feel like, I don't know why it's so hard. Because uh, we didn't meet last week. Be nice to celebrities, I guess. No, I mean, no, no that's, oh, not, that's not Until next time, remember, we're all humans. That's yeah. better. I like that. Yeah, like, until next time, fame has a price. That's what I just said. Did it exactly? Exactly those words. And you, like, <laughs> said that I shouldn't say that. Until next time, <laughs> nipple cane grandma, penis cane grandpa. That's better. Bye.